Today's episode of Found Down is brought to you by Unwound Retreats. Unwound Retreats offers fun events and travel experiences for nurses locally and internationally. Founded by me, Nicole Johnson, ICU nurse and host of the Found Down podcast, I provide opportunities for nurses to practice self-care, learn, and travel together. These last two years have been brutal in healthcare, and why not give yourself the gift to unwind, learn, and grow? Previous guests have loved the experiences, especially because you can just show up and know that everything will be taken care of. Unwound Retreats is offering exciting and luxurious retreats in Morocco and Mexico. Go over to unwoundretreats.com and sign up to get on the email list so you can find out more. Welcome to the Found Down Podcast. This is a podcast of untold nursing stories that are sometimes hilarious, dark, insane, and anything in between. As a warning, this show is rated E and is mature in content. It often deals with the reality of life and death and how we as nurses intersect with that on a regular basis. If we laugh, it's not out of disrespect. We love what we do and have every intention of continuing to do so. With that, enjoy the show. Well, hello and welcome to the Found Down Podcast. I'm your host, Nicole Johnson, and today I'm really excited because I'm sitting down with Polly Pobleta. She's an ICU nurse with a background in med surge and neuro ICU. And this, during 2020, she contracted COVID. And we're going to talk to her about her experience getting COVID, and then she ended up getting hospitalized. And as a nurse, it's you know, and, and for those of us, of us in healthcare, I'm sure we're really, cur- I'm super interested in the how that was a, to go from a nurse to a patient. And then maybe what are the insights you learned, you know, along the way. But Pauline, before we get into anything, I'm just going to ask you, how are you doing today? I'm doing, I, lo- I always like to say I'm doing good. I'm doing great because it sounds good. But quite honestly, with everything that's going on and how I'm feeling, how I'm managing my stress and my anxiety, I I like to say things are manageable. Mm. So I'm okay. I'm not sad. I'm not excited. I'm okay. You're okay. I'm going to ask you, did that getting your experience of getting sick and hospitalized, did that change your baseline of like, why you say you're manageable? It definitely did. Before being diagnosed with COVID, before being hospitalized, I've never experienced these kind of feelings before. Mm. So initially, it was hard for me to understand what signs and symptoms of anxiety were, or even Mm. depression, even if it was subtle. Mm. I used to think that anxiety was more prominent and my heart is racing, or Mm -hmm. I would be doing more physically obvious things. Um, but anxiety and depression just comes in different forms. And sometimes the people around you won't even notice because if they Mm -hmm. see that you're standing and walking and maybe smiling, Mm -hmm. then you look good. You look great. And when I was going through my recovery, that's exactly what people were saying to me. Like, you look amazing. I mean, I look amazing because I'm probably not on a ventilator anymore, but I'm still coping with everything that had happened. And I'm still adjusting back to my new norm. Wow. Did you, have you been, can I ask you about a little bit of your sort of mental health plan? Have you, do you see like a counselor or we talk a lot about seeing therapy on the show and sort of our 
how we manage our stress and anxiety and mm-hmm. um, because this has been an incredibly hard year for all of us in healthcare. Um, what have you done in your recovery to help manage your anxiety? Definitely when I first started noticing things were a little off with me, I sought the help of a mental health counselor. Mm. I love my friends. I love my family. And I have a good close group of social support uh, system. But um, I knew I needed to seek advice from a health professional as well to kind of get that outside perspective, that neutral perspective as well. Mm -hmm. Because I think my friends and family love me so much. They'll say and do all the say and do all the good things for me, you know? Mm -hmm. Mm Mm-hmm. Well, it's really great to have somebody who, like you said, is neutral and can just be there for you and listen to you without judgment and offer, Mm -hmm. offer real tools and advice. And aside from a mental health counselor, I try to, like, honestly, I try to uh, keep up with my routine, get up and get ready, look presentable, even if I'm not going to see someone or like doing someone like, Live as if I'm living for the day. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And then I, with one of my best friends, every day we do um, something that we're grateful for. And this is mm-hmm. not something like, oh, you know, I should be grateful for this. So I have gratitude for that. It's really highlighting things that make you feel good and make you feel grateful when you actually enjoy it. And then also getting good sleep making sure I eat properly or eat regularly. Cause sometimes when you do have bad anxiety and depression, you're not, you lose your appetite and you're not thinking of eating. So you'll like mm-hmm. slowly lose weight without even realizing it. And then you'll mm-hmm. slowly stop enjoying things without realizing it. Mm-hmm. Um, so making sure I eat, making sure I eat, uh, eat and sleep well. And then um, if I do start to feel like my anxiety starts to act up, I try to sit with that feeling and try to, work through it, try to calm myself down, go for a walk, meditate. Um, if I do have like an off day or if like I feel like everything that's going on around this world is out of my control and I'm just not enjoying anything whatsoever, complete anhedonia, mm-hmm. I'll reach out to one of my family and friends and I'll just tell them I'm feeling off today. Mm-hmm. And then that's when they'll chime in they'll give me a call or they'll physically show up. And that's been super helpful for me to have. And it prevents you from getting into a total mental crisis. Mm -hmm. Well, they're all, those are all good tools to have in your toolbox. I know we're just meeting for the first time today, but Mm -hmm. I have, I'm a huge proponent of gratitude and meditation and mindfulness and self care and um, building those just hardwired sort of routines, right? So that mm-hmm. you, so you stay, you stay with it. And I'm just in awe. I'm in awe. I'm in awe. Thank you I, for sharing. Well, thank you too. I must say this is stuff that I've never done before. I've never taken the time to sit and reflect, meditate, go for walks just to like clear my head it wasn't until this experience that I felt like I needed something. I needed something to help myself. And then people have guided me on these tools that I could apply for myself. And it's been super, super helpful. And for anybody 
who's going through it as well with their mental health, it's, it's nice to learn about your options and practice them. Do you, can I just ask you another question about this? And that is, did you, um, how did you discover all this stuff or what was it with the help of your mental health provider or was, was it through friends or family members? Through everyone that I came encounter with, um, you know, there were times where I didn't want to admit either A, because I didn't know how I was feeling or B, I just didn't want to admit that anything was wrong. Like I was a person that had, that could just look at a problem and be proactive about it. This was just the first time in my life where things were just happening and I couldn't understand what was going on. But as I started reaching out to people, that's when they would start to show me and explain things to me. They would even um, tell me what their concerns and problems that they're dealing with. And then they would show me how they would cope with it. So just learning from their experiences and their advices, Mm -hmm. that's how I learned about it. But it definitely helped for me to be honest with how I was feeling. It helped Mm -hmm. me recognize it for myself. And it also allowed me to have the people around me know how to help me. Mm -hmm. We talked a little bit about this on our show about, not today, but about how you know, it's, it's good to just say how you really are, you know, like during, especially during this time of pandemic and like, and I mean, maybe I guess if you don't want to unload, like how you're really doing, like, oh, I'm fine. But really, is everybody fine? Are we fine? I mean, like, I don't don't know, you know, it's like, I don't think we are. I don't, I don't know. As a collective. Yeah. I don't think we're fine. I agree. Nothing's normal. Nothing has ever been normal. As soon as I got out of the hospital, I was seeking for everything that was normal again. And I was working towards being as normal as possible. But the truth is nothing is. And everybody's coping with it. Everybody's going through it. So I think it would be awesome for us to just recognize and help one another. Mm. So Pauline, is it can you take me back to when you got diagnosed with COVID and like what that, I know this is probably going to be hard and I I just appreciate you for opening up about this, but like what, when you got, like, when did you get diagnosed and what led you to going to the hospital and sort of what was that experience like? So I think what was also unique to my experience was being diagnosed early in this pandemic and then as a nurse being admitted into the same ICU that I work in that cares for COVID patients. I started feeling symptoms early in March. And I remember um, it was like questionable body aches. And then come March 15, it was like full-blown body aches, fever, malaise. And I'm I'm the type of person I don't really get sick sick. Mm-hmm. And when I do get sick, it's like I try to treat it right away. I think it's a very healthcare worker thing to do. Mm-hmm. Um, but this time around, and I can see better now that I was just so weak for days. And then a friend suggested to me like, oh, you know, um, UW is doing the drive through swabs for COVID. Mm-hmm. I was like, sweet. Well, I got to get one as soon as possible. 
I would take my Tylenol. And as soon as I, like, I felt good, like I would just go out and go do something. So I went to go get swabbed and it took a few days because it was such a process at that time. Mm-hmm. You had to fill out a form that was saying that you meet the criteria and then you had to schedule your appointment to get swabbed. And then you had to show up for your appointment day to get swabbed. So it was a longer process during that time. And it was pretty dreadful to endure the symptoms that I experienced just waiting for that. Cause when I say, when I say full blown fever, body malaise, just weakness, like I just had zero energy. The only times I had energy was when, I took my Tylenol for that brief period. I felt good. I felt great. Mm. I felt my most normal. I just want to point out, so that was, you were saying you first got sick March 15th. I mean, that was, we didn't shut down Seattle, Washington until March 16th. And like, Mm -hmm. this was right when we knew COVID was out there. And Mm -hmm. like, like you said, like we were just getting together, like how to take care of people just figuring out how to test people. I remember that, but we were, we, everything was slow and Mm -hmm. it was seemed kind of crazy that there was like, Oh, you had to meet certain criteria to get tested. Yeah. You know, but anyway, I just wanted to put that context in because this was, this was in the very, very, very beginning. Things were so new. And even when I got tested, they were telling me you're going to find out in 72 hours. And quite honestly, as days went on, like, I just couldn't even fathom feeling this way any longer. And, but they called me right away with the results as mm-hmm. soon as possible, I guess, because because I was positive, they wanted to let me know as soon as possible. And I remember when I got the results, it, it not to sound like cliche or overly dramatic, but it felt like a death sentence. I felt horrible as it is. And I was like, I can't even imagine the theme during that time was stay home, save lives. And I was like, I can't imagine staying home, sitting with these, these symptoms any longer. Mm. I remember texting my friend and saying, I'm sorry if I don't reply to you because I just don't feel good. And then the times I do feel good, I just want to sit up and enjoy feeling good. Mm. Like that's what I said. And that's, that's just how bad it felt. Mm. And then I remember at the time, because again, things were so new, I saw my first healthcare provider, telehealth. And mind you, I don't really know what's going on with the rest of the world. I'm just focused on myself right now. Yeah. I, yeah. Get, I get to my provider. I let them know I just feel like shit and I, and I have COVID. And the only treatment at the time was Tylenol, take Tylenol. I was like, I've been taking Tylenol. <laughs> and then I, I, I was like, I need a second opinion. I go to my other appointment and he recommends the same thing. And I was like, it was getting to the point, my fevers were getting to the point where Tylenol just wasn't working anymore. I had to set my alarm clock and take an ibuprofen in between. I think there was this article out there that was not um, highly suggesting ibuprofen at the time. I was like, I don't care. Like, I, like nothing is helping me. This Tylenol is shit. And I can only, and I'm melting these ice packs almost immediately. I can, I only have so much energy just to get up and go to the shower. I'm like, how much longer is it going to be for me to just be on this fucking Tylenol? Mm. Your fevers, 
I'm just, <laughs> what were they like? 103, 104, 104. 103, 104. Mm-hmm. For days, right? For days. And I would oh. have to time my alarm so that even in the middle of the night, I could take it. Because mm. if I woke up and my fevers were so high, it, the shittier I felt and the less energy I had. Wow. Your body was certainly working super hard fighting the virus. And the only things that we knew at this point was, you know, people are getting sick and people are dying. I didn't know how this virus was going to affect me. It's not like you're, it's not like another kind of virus where you can kind of predict what was going to happen or you could just go get an antibiotic for it. Everything Mm -hmm. was just so new. There was just so much uncertainty. That sounds really, 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 really scary. Yeah, it is because I, and I think for someone like me in the healthcare, like you're trying to think in your head, like what else can you do? And you're trying to do all the right things. And then you try to seek out professional help and, you know, everything's so new, they don't even know what else to to give you. So it's like, what else do I have to work with here? Mm. And then I remember, so I had been home for about a week feeling shitty and my fevers were getting worse and worse. And then this is when I realized, like, I, I need help. I need more than what I'm doing right now. I remember, like, you know, I was shaking and I thought it was just a fever. And I was like, I got to go to the shower and I got to go cool off my body. I'm, like, shaking to the bathroom. And I remember it was just my heart rate started to spike up when I was walking to my bathroom. And I was just getting short of breath. And I was like just get in the shower and cool off. Like this is just like hyperthermia. Mm -hmm. I like cool off in the shower and I'm still shaking and it's uncomfortable. I try to quickly put on my clothes back on and then I look in the mirror and then I realize like I'm so pale. I'm so gray. (gasps) And then I was like, I don't think this is just from the fever. And then I try to like – even just like, like, I just remember how I was breathing. And I was like, I just have to go. I have to go to the couch. I have to, I couldn't lay on my right side. I couldn't lay on my left side. I was just trying to get my body to calm down because sitting up was not helping me. Like I had to lay back flat and it was the only way I could breathe at the time. And then my heart's still racing. And I finally text my aunt and my uncle who are nurses. Mm. And I was feeling guilty for a split second because I was like, you know, they've been checking up on me for a while, but I've been so sick and I haven't really been telling everybody what's been going on. I just had no energy. Yeah. And then I finally told them like, hey, I've been sick for a while and I, I think I need to call EMS. Like um, I'm tachypnic, I'm tachycardic, I'm super short of breath. Like that's the, like the realization of all these symptoms that I've been probably feeling for a while, just never really acknowledged it mm-hmm. because I'm thinking that I'm doing all the right things and trying to survive, then I realized that like, no, I need, I need real help. So. And you're alone in your apartment or wherever, right? Like I'm, I'm alone. And this is what I tell people um, who, uh, this is why I tell people if they have COVID and have to stay home, I always say, just have someone check in on you, have a second set of eyes. Like, no, they can't, go up to you and you know see how you're doing so have them check in on you and see how you're actually doing 
because I did have friends like ordering me food to drop it off. Mm -hmm. I had friends drop off food, but then when they would see me, they would see me after I've taken Tylenol after, you know, I've been, when I start feeling feeling good. good. Yeah. But really I would go back and just lay back on my couch Mm. and yeah, I, that's what I wish I would have done differently. I wouldn't have Mm. tried to feel like I was doing everything right. I was doing everything that I could. I wish I had a second set of eyes on me. Mm. And during this week I had been not stomaching food. People asked me like, how was your sense of smell and taste? I was like, I barely ate. And no, I wasn't smelling anything. I didn't want to smell my vomit. I didn't want to smell my diarrhea. Like, no, I didn't want to smell anything. Yeah. So you have, I mean, it sounds like you had all the symptoms. Um, and you, I mean, gosh, I I just want to say, I'm sorry you were feeling so awful. That sounds like, it sounds like hell. It was definitely hell for me personally. <laughs> <laughs> um, so you call EMS. Do you call EMS or does somebody else call I do call EMS. So I'm actually able to, I, I was still able to talk. Like I still had like, my mind was still working pretty well. I was just super exhausted and short of breath. As I'm laying flat, I tell them like, I need them to come up to my apartment and it's just, I give them details to make it as easy for them to come up to my building, make the transition as smooth as possible. I'm like, you're going to have to bring the stretcher up. I'm laying flat on my bed and I can't sit up. Like you might need to transfer me. So make sure, um, you know, mm-hmm. you guys you will be able stuff. to, yeah, you have the stuff you need and you guys will be able to carry me over just in case I can't even move over. So they do that. I let them know, you know, I'm COVID positive so they can take the precautions that they need. And then they bring me to the ER. And I remember I passed by one of my friends who had been delivering me food and we just saw each other and we just like felt so bad because we knew that it got so bad that it came to this point. And then I knew they were going to have to draw labs. I knew they were hooking me up to the monitor. And when, when they hooked me up to the monitor and they told me my stats were in like the low mid eighties, I was like, that's not good. I wonder Mm. what my ABG looks like. Right. (laughs) (laughs) What's your PAO (laughs) too? Exactly. Mine was actually 64. I remember. I remember all the bad stuff. I couldn't remember the good stuff. I was just so focused on what was, um, what was wrong and needed to be fixed. Okay. So when I heard those numbers, I was just like, worst thing they can do is intubate me, right? But I'm still talking here, so everything's all good. Mm-hmm. I remember telling my ER nurses, like, I haven't been drinking for days. Like, good luck trying to get blood for me. Good luck trying to get an IV in me. And then when they wanted to take my x-ray, um, they wanted to sit me up for my x-ray. And my nurse so wonderfully set me up ahead of time to get me ready. But like, I was so tachypnic and short of Mm -hmm. breath. I was like, put me back down. I can't, for some reason, I know you're supposed to sit up to breathe better, but this just wasn't working for me. Mm -hmm. I had to lay back flat down. And when the x-rays in front, then sit me up and sit me back down because it's not going to work. I'm going to like, I don't know, go way more anoxic sitting up this way. Mm -hmm. And I don't know if it's a pathophysiology thing with um, COVID, 
but some of my nurses said that they had noticed that for some of the people in the unit mm. when they were having difficulty of breathing. So the whole time I was in the ER, I was like, well, they're going to have to bring me to my unit because we're taking That's... care of the COVID patients in my unit. I was like, cool, I'm going to see my coworkers. And I even saw people I recognized, and I was just like, hey, what's up? You know, this is <laughs> this is how we're meeting. <laughs> How's it going? I'm here. <laughs> exactly. I think just trying to make light of the situation, even though I was very afraid for the possibility of worst case scenario being me, me being intubated. Yeah. And I remember, you know, I remember as I was laying in the hospital bed thinking of nothing and just like how much it just sucks to be like this right now. And then I could hear on the outside of my door, they're talking about the results of my x-ray. They're talking about my lab work and they're talking about how intubating early was the best way. It was the best way to treat patients right now. And words just started to go away. And all I could think about was they're going to intubate me. They're going to intubate me. They're going to intubate me. I was in so much shock. I texted the first three people on my, on my messages, like they're going to intubate me. They're going to intubate me. They don't even know what I'm talking about. Like I just need to like yell and talk to somebody that they're going to do the thing that I never wanted to happen because being in being in healthcare, working in the ICU and seeing caring for pa patients on the ventilator, like I know that sometimes they stay on the ventilator longer than expected, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. or sometimes they don't even wake up. Sometimes there's right. complications in between that we don't, you know, we don't yeah. expect to happen, and it just happens. Mm -hmm. So it's just a huge uncertainty, and because this virus was so new. I didn't know how it was going to affect my body. It's already yeah. making me feel bad, very bad. I didn't know what was going to happen. And all I knew at the time was people were getting sick and people were dying. It is absolutely terrifying. Yeah. Um, I remember I was on the phone with my uncle and my parents. And I was basically talking to my parents as if I wasn't going to see them again. I just said, you know, I love you. And then my uncle was doing his best to calm me down. And he was just saying, it's okay. Just get some rest. Okay. You're going to go to sleep and you're just going to get some rest. Mm -hmm. Do you think that helped calm me down? I mean, or calm or make you feel any better about what you were about to face? I think I was torn between just letting go of things I can't control yeah. and also trying to gain control. Oh, you yeah. have no control at this point. I really had no control except right. for myself and my, my thoughts. And it just wasn't helping that I had nothing. I had nothing for myself at that time. Yeah. I couldn't hug my parents. I couldn't, you know, I remember when the staff came in 
And I just mm-hmm. looked around the room and I was just like, okay, my nurse is here, RT's here, the physician's here. Everybody has a role. Everybody has their job. Like, what can I do? Like, I have like nothing. 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 I have nothing. nothing. I just held on to my mask, but really <laughs> I had nothing to do. Did you, did you know your colleagues in the room that day? No, I did not. I mean, I knew of them, but I didn't yeah. work closely with them. So it, it felt very foreign, mm. very foreign. I mean, I knew, I knew I was in, in, in good hands. It was just the fear of uncertainty. I mean, how long would I be intubated for? Exactly. If things were to happen, they're not going to, you know, that's out of their hands too. Yeah. And then with, uh, you know, how long will I be intubated for? Like what, what's, <laughs> am I going to, you know, need a central line? Am I going to need whatever, whatever? I'm sure they're going to put a Foley in. They're probably going to yeah. put a, IVs in an arterial line and all this stuff. And I'm going to be unconscious. Yeah. You know, for how long? Yeah. And will I wake up? And will you wake up? And how will you be when you're when you wake up? Yeah, exactly. It was just so, uncertainty. I wasn't afraid if they had to put IVs in me. I wasn't afraid if they had to put central lines or IVs in me or my catheter. Mm-hmm. There's actually this joke that I keep um, sharing with people. You know, when you're when you're working as a nurse in the hospital, you think you know if you ever have to be admitted in your floor and mm-hmm. someone had to take care of you, mm-hmm. who would you want to be your nurse and who would you want to put in your catheter? Like you think of that stuff, right? Totally. And, and it's such a big joke. And we always say it's oh man, it's like the worst nightmare ever. Like make sure you clean up down there. I know, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, but mm-hmm. then. That never even crossed my mind. Not at all. I was like, I don't fucking care. All I could think of was I want to breathe again and I want to make sure that I wake up. Yeah. All that shit goes out the window. I, On some level, that's comforting to, f- to hear you say that. Um, and I guess you just had to surrender, right? Because there wasn't anything. You were so sick. There wasn't anything you could do. Yes. And Having at that letting time, go of that control. Oh, sorry. Go ahead. I didn't mean to interrupt. Yeah, you. no, definitely letting go of that control. That's very hard for people to do, especially when you're so in control of your life. And at that time, I mean, now what we know about COVID is late intubation and high flow oxygenation. Mm-hmm. But at the time, they didn't know. So they intubated you. Yes, they did. They did. And I remember the first time I woke up, I was really bronchospastic. Oh. And breathing through that ET tube was like breathing through a martini straw. And people always want to know, like, what does it feel like? And I always describe, just blow out all your air from your lungs, cover your mouth, and try to breathe through your covered face. That's how wow. it was. You can't it breathe. Doesn't even feel like you're breathing. And it could also be because my lungs just felt so stiff. But it doesn't feel like you're getting enough air. So I remember I woke up so bronchospastic and I was like, this tube is like, I can't breathe air from this tube. And I just grabbed onto this tube because I was thinking in my head, like, 
will it be easier for me if I just pull it out? If I just pull it out, is it going to be easier? Is my airway going to be bigger? Am I going to have more airflow? Am I going to be ventilating okay? I just kept coughing and coughing and I was just more and more mm. panicked. And I remember my coworkers ran into the room and they're just trying to reason with me. They're like, don't, don't do it. Don't do it. You don't want to do that. Don't do it. Did you have a, did they give you like a whiteboard to write down stuff on or like say Heck how yes, you're... they did. Heck yes. What I love about them is, so <laughs> this surprises me too. They trusted me out of restraints and they gave me a whiteboard to write on. And I, I love it because, um, I was able to communicate with them very well. And also because we can share funny stories with it. Mm -hmm. I remember I kept sharing, uh, I kept saying I was anxious for one thing, kept saying Mm -hmm. anxiety, anxiety, give me something for anxiety. Cause I, every time I wake up, like I'm freaking out. And then another one was, I remember one of my good friends who was an RT came in and he was talking to me about the latest and the greatest gossip. I guess just trying to distract me. <laughs> and I would write on the board like, ooh, <laughs> tell me more. <laughs> <laughs> That's so funny. That's so funny. Oh, yeah. So-and-so got fired today. They didn't yeah. – or, not, or not like fired, fired, but like maybe their patient fired them today. Yeah. yeah. I'm like, oh, go figure. I totally agree with that. I see why they're like that. <laughs> <laughs> or like I remember um, I had researchers asking me all of these questions, and I was just thinking like, like, holy shit, I'm trying to survive on this ventilator and you're asking me all these serious questions. Is it really <laughs> relevant right now? And I wrote on the board to one of my friends, I was like, I'm tired of these long ass questions. Like, this has nothing to do with me right now. I like this can wait. Yeah. Yeah. Well, they probably advocated for you after that. <laughs> they were like, don't. <laughs> Paulina's had enough. She, you cannot, you can see her tomorrow. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> oh, and then another thing is, I had my cell phone with me. I was very attached mm. to my phone. I think because it was just my only outlet at the time. Mm. So I was like texting people, um, and it's funny to look back. Because it, it tells a great story of like events that had happened during my intubation days and things that I don't even remember lucidly. But mm. when I look back, I remember them clearly. Mm. It was just conversations back and forth. And I was even having some well thought out uh, words describing like how wonderful my nurses are, how I'm doing on the ventilator, or if today was shitty. Were, were you, were they, were you? <laughs> I'm just curious. Were you like, what are my drip rates at? Like, what's my urine output like? What are my oh. vital signs? Or were you like, I don't care. Just take care no. of me. Oh, hell yeah. I I was. I was. And I think part of it was, again, just wanting some control, wanting yeah. to know what was going on. Yeah. So I was just straight up like, what are my vent settings? Like, mm-hmm. how are my vitals doing? And that kind of like... I would just repeat it in my head and just think that, okay, this is fine. Everything's like steady. Everything's in it, like not bad. Mm-hmm. And then um, I remember when people would suction me, I did not enjoy that. 
did not enjoy that at all. I mean, one, I knew that, um, I knew that my lungs weren't really producing much mucus. Okay. So there's not much to suck. There's not much to suck out. And I was just like, don't waste your time. And also don't waste my breath. Like don't suction me. I know that's like an immediate thing to do is let's see and suction them. But I'm like, I just, I don't have anything. Like something about this virus just makes your lungs sound productive or it makes, Mm -hmm. yeah, but you're not really producing secretions like that. And then... Can I, I just say one thing for late people out there that mm-hmm. suctioning is one of, we were always told as nurses, suctioning is like one of the most painful and um, difficult things that a patient can experience because you suck out all the air and that you can hurt their, it can be painful if you take the catheter down. and um, Definitely. But we always do that initially just in case there's any secretions there. Yeah. That's yeah. going to be an immediate uh, relief to them. Yeah. It's going to suck at yeah. first, but that's going to be an immediate relief. And then we can hyper oxygenate and do anything else that'll make mm-hmm. them feel comfortable. But in, yeah, in this case, I was just too aware that I was just like, just don't do it. It even got to the point where one of my RTs came into suction me. I was like, just don't, just, just don't. I'll help you help me. And just don't. <laughs> <laughs> You're like, I've got no phlegm. Yeah. <laughs> there's nothing. <laughs> yeah, there's nothing there. Don't nothing even try. There. And I remember when they were making adjustments on my vent, I I wanted more peat. I think I I could I could feel when the vent was giving me like an extra push. Oh, mm-hmm. And I remember when I got extubated, my lungs just felt so stiff. Even if I was trying to take in a deep breath, it's like my lungs weren't even moving. And I think that's why I felt this type of way when I was on the ventilator. I remember one time my sats were okay, but I just felt like I wasn't breathing. So Mm. I was like demanding from my nurses and my RT. I was like, hey, I don't don't know what's going on, but I feel this way and they need you to help me out. Mm I was like, I don't. This night in particular, like I just felt so I had, I had just vomited. I had just vomited. And then all of a sudden, like, I just felt like I wasn't breathing. Okay. Mm. Like my lungs were just having a hard time expanding. And then maybe it was anxiety or maybe it was breathing. But I remember I kept writing on my whiteboard, like, like, don't look at my sats, like, look at me. And I'm telling you, like, I'm having a hard time. I'm having a hard time breathing. And they were just like, they're uh, playing around, playing around with the vent, and it did help a little bit. But I remember I also asked for more medications. Um, I was asking uh, for medications to help me relax, something to help me breathe better, because whatever they had, they had ordered, it just doesn't feel like it's working right now. Mm-hmm. And then it was night shift, and we know the flow of the night shift is slower. Mm-hmm. And my, my, one of my friends, my nurse, um, she told me that I wrote on my board, I was like, who's the resident? Because I don't want to waste my time talking to some dumbass. And I think just because we were just so aware of, you know, how slow it can be on nights, you know? Yeah, just really skip high. the steps. Skip the steps. Yeah. Just go, go, go to the... F- 
nocturnist. Just go, just boop. Yeah, exactly. But I trusted them so much. I was asking them for their input, asking them for their help that I didn't even want to waste my time talking to some resident who I didn't know and who wasn't familiar with me, who probably wasn't familiar with taking care of COVID patients. Like just at that time, I was just in survival mode. I was like, you know, like, what do you think would help me best right now? Like we work together. We we've done this before. So we can figure this out together or, or let's talk to the attending. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, and at that time, I don't know if it was this way for you, where you were, but where we were at the time because of COVID and because of exposure, we were limiting who would go in the room and the only people that could go in the room were the attendings. Yes, definitely. And, that was a uh, thing. On, the, on the medical team, on the team. Yeah. So no, the residents definitely. wouldn't go in. Mm-mm. Mm-hmm. Definitely. Um, how long were you on the ventilator, Pauline? I was on the ventilator for a week. A week? Mm-hmm. I remember when they talk about SBTs and LPV and just making all these changes on the ventilator. I was so nervous because I just didn't know how my lungs would comply. I was so worried that even though like logically I know how these things are supposed to work. I was just worried about, I knew what my struggles were prior that I was just like, I don't know if my lungs will be okay. And then what if they make these changes and I don't even comply or what if I don't even pass this SBT and you know, so it was, was uh, hearing you talk about this. I'm, I'm, I'm an emotional person <laughs> and I'm just like, oh my God, you know, it's a, it's a lot. It's yeah. like really scary. If, like I said, if I had spoken about this early on, I wouldn't be able to tell my story straight. I'd be crying all the time. I would be feeling so many kinds of emotions and it's not only my emotions, but everyone else's as well. I always looked at my coworkers and saw how hard they work at work and knowing that, you know, they go home to their personal lives to deal with too. Yeah. And like, I, I rarely talk about this. Um, I rarely talk about this part of my life because I love my grandparents and I want them to be remembered for, all the good memories um, that people could have of them. But I also lost my grandparents to COVID. They were also intubated around the same time as me. So um, my uncle was my DPOA. And when my grandparents got sick and needed to get intubated, he was managing three ventilators Wow! at the same time. And the day that I got extubated, my grandpa passed away. And then the next day after that, my grandma passed away. So I used to get super emotional. And this was just another reason why I didn't really talk about it. I used to get super emotional knowing how I felt. Yeah. It must have been harder for them 
because they just didn't know of anything. They don't know of COVID. They don't know all this medical stuff. They don't know what's going to happen to them. I would cry thinking of how they must have felt, how they must have felt afraid and if they had suffered in any way. Um, and then also my dad was the one to bring them to the hospital mm. and he had to witness how they had to get intubated. And it's just oh. heart-wrenching for him. And it was heart-wrenching for me too, because I didn't realize my dad had to watch them. I had to tell my dad that that's not how they intubated me. I was, I was fine. I was okay. I was safe. I was comfortable. I don't want you to think that I suffered in any way. But I do think of how my grandparents felt and how scared they must have been. It sounds like it was a really, I mean, an incredibly difficult time for your family. It is, and it's made such a huge impact to us. And it's definitely helped bring us closer. That's why um, I I talk to them regularly, and that's why it feels kind of, I have this little unsteady feeling to hear that my my aunt has cancer. It's just like we're just each each other's biggest support system. So I'm Mm -hmm. just like. When when you go through so much. When you go through so much already and then having to deal with a little bit more. You're like, really, God? Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Is is this really what you want to do? (laughs) Yeah. But this, this, this virus has definitely impacted my family in so many ways. And my parents and my grandparents live overseas in the Philippines. They've, they've witnessed so much with my grandparents. And then they had this feeling of like, I can't even be there for my own daughter. Mm. If something were to happen, I can't even hold her. That would have been so traumatic for them. So traumatic for everyone in my family. Yeah. When I got to talk to my parents again, when I got extubated, my dad felt more at peace when my grandparents passed away because he was like, they're your guardian angels. They made sure that you were okay. And, you know, to have you back, I feel good. I feel better. It gives me closure in that sense. And then, yeah, I, I... I pray and thank them for watching over me. I have their picture nearby and I just wake up and greet them. And I think of them. Yeah. I'm just, I'm, I don't know. I'm speechless. Yeah. It's insane. It's such a freaky coincidence. And there's just such madness. And Yeah. It's it's a lot. It's a lot, but I think of I think of all the good the good feelings and the good things that came out of it. Mm. So on that note, yeah, what was your road to recovery like and how did it change your outlook? How did this experience change your outlook on life? Man, um 
it's it's recovery has been a roller coaster and ever since i got extubated i was so determined to get back to normal get back to work do great do great things again yeah i'm in awe of my coworkers i want to be back in the workforce i want to do the same things that they do if not better soon after discharge i started to notice that i was having uh forgetfulness poor short term um memory i was i was having like these mental blocks and the harder i tried to think of something the harder it was for me to remember it was hard for me to multitask i didn't like large i didn't like seeing like like people i didn't like seeing a lot of people the noises outside in the streets were just overwhelming mm-hmm. And sometimes I would just hyperventilate. I think part of it was post-traumatic and I think part of it was also the infection. Mm-hmm. But I, I struggled doing basic stuff at home. I remember I was, I was frying an egg on the stove and I knew the egg was burning, but I couldn't think to pull the pan away or to lower the heat. Hmm. And then my body was so deconditioned. I just didn't have the energy or the strength to even like wash my own hair, mm. to do chores around my apartment. Like I was, I was tired and short of breath. And it made me realize that I was so capable of so much more before all this. Mm. And it made me realize that I, it made me appreciate all the things that I could do again. Hmm. If I could just walk my dog, if I could just eat food, if I could just call my family, if I could see people that I love, hear people that I love, then I'm happy, you know? If I could plan my own schedule and memorize my own ghostly list, doing things for myself in general was like, the best thing ever because I couldn't do any of that stuff. I couldn't think for myself anymore. And then I couldn't even, I didn't have the strength to do the things that I enjoyed. Mm -hmm. So I missed everything and I missed being able to do things for myself and do things with other people. So that that's what changed my outlook in life, having more appreciation for it. And even just the simple things. Hmm. And I always say like, you're nothing without your health and health is definitely wealth. Yeah, it's true. It's true. You can have everything in the world and all the riches and everything. But if you can't enjoy that, what's the point? Right. All I wanted to do was see my family again. And I still haven't been able to because of traveling is too risky, Mm -hmm. but at least I can FaceTime them and still hear and see their faces. Yeah. How are you doing today? How's your um, body? How's Pauline? How's your how's your health today? It's been what has it been? So you got sick in March. It's been almost a year. Oh my god. So it's been yeah, 10 months since you were yeah. sick. So today this morning I felt um anxious. I took a walk. Um, tried to see if I could, uh, talk to my friend, made breakfast, still did my usual morning stuff, but you look, you look very beautiful by the way. 
Thank you. And, you know, it was hard at first, or it felt like it was going to be hard at first, but then I'm here now. So that's, yeah. Yeah. And you, and you, so your, your health, is it back to where it was pre illness or is it, are you close to where you were? I want to say I'm close to it. Just a lot of fine tuning. Yeah. You know, it's like, I haven't been able to come back to normal because nothing's normal. The things that I normally do, I can't do anymore because it's just not available. It's not open. Things are so limited. So it's hard to assess all like, it's hard to assess all these things. I do for sure have like newfound anxiety and depression. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. It's just heightened and it's just new feelings for me. So it's hard for me to identify to begin with. But yeah. now that I'm more aware, I'm just practicing the things that I need to. Mm-hmm. And my experience in general has also helped me look at my patients differently. Mm. Um, I've said before, like, Sometimes I'm like two hours behind on charting my vital signs and my assessments. And it's not because I haven't done my assessment or I haven't looked at the vital signs and everything's okay. It's because I'm taking my time to make sure that my patient's needs are met. I want to make sure that they feel safe, they feel okay, or they were able to brush their teeth or sit up and dangle if they needed to. Because even that most basic stuff, like I was yearning to do and I couldn't even do for myself. Sitting up and dangling is hard, but it's so important for you. Brushing your teeth was hard to do, but it's so important for you. Yeah, right. Now, just to be clear, you've got, I know you're on a, you're on a break right now, but did you go, you went back to the actual unit that is a COVID ICU that, that you were in. Is that right? Mm-hmm. Wow. I mean, do you ever... Do you ever share that with your patients who are COVID positive? I mean, I, yeah. I haven't. I, I mean, I think it's just a little awkward. I mean, first of all, most of our COVID patients um, are intubated and prone. Yes. Um, and then the ones that, who have recovered, um, it's not the first thing that comes in their mind. They're not yeah. thinking about, hey, is there anyone out there who's going through this? Yeah. But with having experienced what I have experienced, I just take my time to understand how they feel and what they Mm -hmm. need out of this. Mm -hmm. I don't assume that everyone is feeling the same way as me, Mm -hmm. but it gives me this better insight to assess how they feel about it. How is the situation affecting them? If you could give advice to nurses out there, and a lot of nurses listen to this podcast, um, what's one thing that we could do better to, to show up for our patients? What's, what do you think? I think it would be to make your patients feel safe and secure. And that could even be by giving them information that they might be asking for or holding their hand. Mm -hmm. I remember I was so scared one time that all I needed was a hand to hold. I didn't want anyone to talk to me. I just needed to know that something was there. So that sense of safety and security, they have no control over anything and they trust Mm -hmm. you entirely. And you can give them that sense of security by letting them know that you're there for them and everything's going to be okay. (sighs) 
Thank you. Thank you. Thank you for having me. Is like there I any- said, I no, wouldn't be ahead. able to I wouldn't be able to talk about this straightforwardly if I had talked months ago. <laughs> well, I appreciate I so appreciate you talking about your story, talking about your experience, um and all of your feelings around all of it and your valuable wisdom for us in healthcare. Do you have any last closing thoughts at all for the show? I think people need to, I hope people understand that like COVID is affecting us worldwide. And if you're somebody who's tired of dealing with this pandemic, like so are the frontline healthcare workers who have to deal with this at work and then they go home and they deal with COVID guidelines. It's like 24 seven for them. Mm-hmm. And then a lot of people have to pick up extra shifts too, because the hospitals need help. Yeah. So I think, you know, we're all in this together. We are, we are, and we all have to do our part. We're going to get through this, but we all have to do our part, man. Thank you so much for being on the show today, Pauline. It's been an absolute pleasure and a joy and also a journey today. So um, thank you for sharing everything with the audience out there, with me being so vulnerable. And um, I hope sometime I can meet you in in person. Yeah, that'd be awesome. Um, I think we have a lot of common friends. So I'm just going to close this out by saying... Stay safe and stay sane, and we'll see you on the next one. Thanks so much for tuning in today. If you enjoyed the show, please subscribe and leave an honest review on whatever platform you are listening. Also, feel free to share this with your nursing colleagues. If you'd like to email me, you can do so at founddownpodcast at gmail.com. Feel free to send in any stories. Just make sure they're HIPAA compliant. Also, you can follow the podcast on Instagram at founddownpodcast. We'll see you on the next one.